Mackling, McNabb, McGarry returns Monday. Loren, last night again, Assiniboy Downs had to pull the plug on the racing program, but last night it was because of the wind, not because of the smoke. We do have a text message already this morning from our good friend Don, Trucker Don, says the smoke from the NWT has made its way to Grand Forks and all eyes on the Northwest Territories this morning. Yeah, it's really incredible what's going on. First of all, you mentioned that wind. I mean, it was really noticeable where I am and was last night, just toppling things over in my backyard. Not trees or anything, but, you know, like deck boxes and all the rest. But whatever we're going through with wind or smoke pails in comparison to what they're dealing with in the Northwest Territories. And, you know, we talked a lot about hay weather, or sorry, hay river uh, in the last couple of days and some of the evacuations in communities around there. And now, of course, we're talking about Yellowknife ordering people to get out, that the fire continues to advance uh, in that territory. It burns 17 kilometers just outside the city. And so without rain, they're worried it could reach the city outskirts by the weekend. And so with 20,000 people in that territory's capital, they're saying, you know, let's begin evacuating in a phased approach because we were really worried. And that it's incredible to see what's happening up there right now and how those fires have really moved. I was just reading an article from McLean's magazine way back uh, from 2016 and uh, what were Canada's biggest mass evacuations, 20,000, obviously a huge number. Uh, But when you think back to the number of people uh, evacuated from Fort McMurray, uh, that was 88,000 people. And uh, back in 1950, during the flood, uh, you know, the first major flood of Winnipeg's history as a, as a large city, 100,000 Winnipeggers were evacuated. And then, I don't know if you know about this, uh, this um, Mississauga miracle, they call it. It was uh, triggered by a freight train that was loaded with dangerous goods, d- dangerous chemicals in Mississauga, Ontario, when they evacuated Tens of thousands, 218,000 people were forced to leave home for a week. You would have been, what, two years old when that happened. I was about 10. I don't remember that. And I think I ended up learning about that somewhere along the way because until Hurricane Katrina, there was not that kind of go, 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 like get out in post-war times, right? And so 200,000 people, that's a massive amount and and you know what I we've talked a lot about this past couple of days Greg about about what you're prepared for and what your understanding is and how you would move and how you would try to leave and and where where you would go and it's easy to say around here we have so many options right but i think when you're when you're so far north like they are you know the next town could be 4 hours away or 5 hours away depending on on your circumstances and then beyond that you know where you're going and for how long is that ever part of anyone's plan you know, you might think a hotel for a couple of days, but some of those evacuations are weeks. In the case of Fort McMurray, right? Some people couldn't get home for months or never went home again. Yeah, really good point. We'll have the latest from up north from Yellowknife in our next segment. You've been hearing uh, the reports as well. Uh, uh, Jamie Dole from uh, Global News is up there. And we will uh, endeavor to bring you the absolute latest as it comes in. Uh, Something we're going to talk about later on this morning, Loren, uh, prompted this discussion prompted by a five-part series that's on Netflix right now. It's called Painkiller. You watched it, was it last weekend? Because I, I believe it was just released to Netflix last weekend, and you you said it was, you really enjoyed it. And so, yeah, I went through that uh, 
Monday into Tuesday finished the series. And I recall doing stories. So it basically it follows the, the story of Oxycontin, the, the prescribed painkiller that was dubbed this miracle drug for people with chronic pain. Uh, and then it ended up being a thing that led to so many deaths right across the continent for people who were overprescribed or got addicted and really struggled with the abuse of that painkiller. And it had us asking a question, well, where are we at? I mean, we know that fentanyl is a big deal and opioids overall are a big deal in Winnipeg. And a lot of that might start with being prescribed something and then you end up being addicted. So we're going to have a conversation with one of our top addictions doctors who runs a lot of the rapid access uh, medical clinics for addictions treatment about where we're at with prescription drugs being a problem because it you know you think i think we think of street all the time you're buying it on the street and that's where it starts and someone's turning to some sort of dealer on the street but it often starts in your home when you just have some pain and next thing you know you're hooked that's right and the eye-opening part there are several eye-opening aspects to that story and the way it was told and one of the things that i think is applicable to what we're seeing in our community today loren is just how desperate People get when they are addicted to any substance and they've decided and their body decides that they need more, that they can't live without it, what they're prepared to do, the crime, the pain within their family structure that is caused and created and the crime that happens in and around that quote unquote drug culture and the impact societally that we just don't take into an account and then maybe some of the societal effects that we're seeing in our community right now, you know, can be traced back to people who never intended to go down this road, going down this road, addicted to drugs, drugs ruling their life, controlling their every move, controlling their financial decisions or relationship decisions. It's a, it's a fascinating look. There's some, there's some corny acting and, and not all of the, all, not all of the five part series is, um, shall we say, is as good as other parts, but it is extremely eye-opening. I don't know if you would agree with me on that, but the eye-opening is undeniable. Which I thought it was just really well done in terms of telling the story of something that was uh, sort of deemed innocuous, no big deal, to give it to your patients, and then just the horrific ramifications. So we'll talk that at 8.37, and at 6.37, one of my all-time favorite chats. Uh, Jim Toth mentioned this yesterday that he feels like Winnipeggers are finally getting it. What are they finally getting? We'll share more just after (laughs) 6.30. We know you've seen them. You've likely participated willingly or unwillingly. And I will proudly declare my co-host is one of its most prominent advocates of the most controversial piece of street engineering since... The roundabout. What are we talking about? Take turns merging. Take turns merging. Na 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 na. Zipper. Na 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 na. Zipper merge. Just like a zipper. Just like a zipper. Just like a zipper. Just like a zipper. All right, zip it. All right, Loren. <laughs> How often do people reach out to you when they have participated in a zipper merge successfully or unsuccessfully? It's a, I, th- I wish it was more, but it was just yesterday that Jim Toth came in and said that he had raised briefly the issue of zipper merges 
on his show earlier this week, and he wanted to chat about it again because he thought people were finally getting it. And yeah, I've been talking about it. You've been talking about it. We we both agree. I think I can safely see, say, Greg, that they make sense to us. You know, oh, yes. when you're approaching an area where the lane is closing due to construction, you stay in your lane. You don't move to the one that's open. You don't move until you get right up to the part where you need to merge and move over. You you take turns moving into that selected lane. You do the zipper merge, as I said. And I would argue that, you know, maybe even three months ago at the start of construction season, people were annoyed because there's way more signs throughout the city of Winnipeg that say zipper merge ahead. And those signs tell you just to stay in your lane until you need to get out of your lane. And I, I do think at the start of the season, I was still getting someone shaking their fist at me. I got yelled at, you know, with the window down, like as if I was the one doing the wrong thing. And now because of the city's efforts to to do them everywhere, it feels like, or at least where they make sense. They're not at every construction zone, but they have, they have a criteria where the zippers merge makes sense and where they put it in place. I feel like I... I don't want to jinx it, but I see less frustration out there with them. And people are like, all right, fine, fine. I'll do the zipper merge. <laughs> yeah, but by uh, hook or by crook, we are right. participating. And just uh, this past week, at the beginning of this week, westbound on Chief Pegwis Trail, they are doing some work in the curb lane between Henderson Highway and Main Street. And so they have created the zipper merge situation in the lead up to that. So the section between the Rothesay underpass and Henderson Highway westbound on Chief Pegwis, they're encouraging you and giving you a heads up, zipper merge ahead, use both lanes, use both lanes, zipper merge ahead. And I think there's a series of at least three, maybe four signs like that. And here's the key in my mind. They're not telling you which lane is closed. And I've seen that once or twice in other construction areas in the in the city where they're just saying it's a zipper merge. We're not telling you which lane is ending. Well, they what I've noticed is that you'll see the zipper merge sign first. So you know that you are going to eventually have to merge. And then at some point in that journey towards the closed lane, they then indicate that it's at the left or right. I, I noticed that on Keniston and I believe... Sort of at the last moment though, at right, the last moment. Yeah. Well, it feels like that might be the case. I asked the city yesterday um, if they would just come on to talk to us about what they're doing with zipper merges and the feedback they're getting because about six or seven years ago, it was just a pilot project. You know, that, that there was one city councilor, I think it was Matt Allard, who was adamant that we need to do the zipper merge more. And so they did a few pilot projects and now it's sort of more a part of the transportation plan. And the message back from the city is that they do not intentionally withhold that information on which lane is closed to traffic, that there's a way they do the signs, but that's not on purpose the way they've been doing it, that there's like criteria for it, uh, that it has to be in an area where it's 80 kilometers per hour or greater, right? So that would be those Keniston areas, you're talking Chief Pegwis. The duration of the work has to be two days or longer, because they want you to get in that habit of understanding, use the zipper, because you're going to be merging on Keniston for months to come, potentially, or at least, you know, a week or so. And then the work zone would be reduced from two lanes to one. So that's the criteria for the zipper merge. And as far as the city's concerned, it, it reduces the length of the lineup waiting to enter the construction zone and it reduces congestion. So they're clearly finding it works. And uh, I feel super excited by that, as sad as that sounds. <laughs> I'm just surprised you haven't been hired by Manitoba yeah, yes. Heavy Construction Association yes. or others to be, to be the official spokesperson yes. for this zipper merge because uh, you've been loud about it. You've been um, a strong advocate. 
I think that they make sense. We do it at the Tim Hortons drive-through at the busiest of times. We do it after Jets games in in parkades, trying to get out in a timely and orderly fashion. People are taking turns, letting one another in to the lineup out of their parking spaces. There are several examples of places where we successfully use the zipper merge. And I think you're right. I think we're finally starting to catch on here in Winnipeg. And the animosity within that line and those two parallel lineups seems to be much less than it was even just a couple of years ago. So bravo, Winnipeg. Bravo. There was a time not long ago where I wondered, but I even if you're being forced to do it and you hate it, you're still doing it with less anger as far as I can tell. As far as I can tell as well. Now, that's just two views of the situation. We want to hear from you. Is the zipper merge working? Do you like it? Don't you like it? Are you noticing less animosity? Are people participating more willingly with less aggression with with less side eye and most importantly loren is there the wave when you are letting somebody in is the other person giving you the wave because that's a critical part of the zipper merge is it not well i think it's just a nice thing to do i wonder though because you have to do it it is supposed to go you go i go you go they go you know if it's part of the rule, do you is the wave required or do you just like the courtesy of it? Like when people are letting you into traffic, that's and you're not really supposed to is different than you have to let me in. I still think of the, the wave. wave. I believe it. I do too. Yeah. I just wonder if that mm. happens because people are like, well, I'm being told to do this. You have to let me in. Andy says, as a truck driver, it's very frustrating when a right or left lane and zipper merge for truckers is a nightmare. Cars, pickups always trying to get ahead of us because we're so slow. Andy, I'm sorry you don't like the zipper merge. Uh, I am hearing your concern. Uh, 204-780-6868. Are you in Andy's court or are you in Loren's court? When we come back. We're going to sort of use this as a jumping off point for our discussion this morning and the opportunity for you to win tickets to either Crash Test Dummies or Rainbow Stage. Stick around to find out all about it next. Mackling McNabb, it is the start. We've got uh, the whole gang together here. And... uh, Clay Young is walking around our newsroom right now with, I don't know, how long would that, is that a boa constrictor? It's something like that. I think it's uh, about, it's at four, at least four or five feet long. So I'm It's got it wrapped up. around his neck and I think it's trying to suffocate him, but I don't well, think he's realized that yet. I blame the, the snake for that. I want to suffocate him right now myself <laughs> with my bare hands. I gave him a little scratch. Once it's a nice little snake. He's a nice little snake. snake. He should do like a Britney Spears dance with it. What's that song where she I'm had that giant? Yeah. For you. Yep. Tune, tune into Global News Morning if you want to see Clay in his white suit, black shirt, and white tie with the boa constrictor wrapped around. He knocked on the window here just as I was wrapping up that last segment. And um, the, the, the profanity laced get out of here. That, no, I, I, that I, I threw it in. I heard it from my desk. Oh, my God. And so anyway, so Clay comes and shows me first, and then he goes, all right, I'm going to go scare Mackling, and then he walked over. Well, he, he succeeded, because I do <laughs> not. Like, what, what, you were quoting, I do not like Indiana saying, Jones. Indiana Jones, snakes. Why did it snakes. have to be snakes? Now, 
Before we move on to our pet peeves in traffic, which is our having coffee talking subject of the day, and your pet peeve stories will give you an opportunity to win either crash test dummy tickets for December 21st or beginning tonight, it's the Little Mermaid at Rainbow Stage. You'll get your choice. Winner will get choice. A, a ringing endorsement, Loren McNabb, from somebody who knows with regard to the zipper merge. May I read this text for our listeners before Please. we carry on it's, here? It's vindication from my years of suffering. Zipper merge. I'm a transportation engineer and design roads in Winnipeg. Loren did a great summary of the benefits of the zipper merge. The criteria for putting up signs does mean you see them at higher speed roads, but should be done almost everywhere, in the opinion of this listener. It's particularly effective in downtown where traffic can back up through multiple intersections due to short block spacing and high traffic. What a waste to only use one lane to stack cars. We can all get through faster if we use the road real estate fully and just merge right at the lane drop. Don't try to signal in early. Move forward to make space for everyone behind you. Uh, the listener doesn't say this, but uh, don't forget the wave because that's a Manitoba thing, as Yvonne says, the wave. So your pet peeves in traffic. Let's start with Sarah McCarthy. She's the newest <laughs> Winnipegger. Therefore, she has, you know, some experience in seeing a transition <laughs> mm -hmm. in her own, not only driving, but her own attitude within yeah. traffic in our city. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, I was just saying to you guys earlier, I've definitely noticed I've become a lot more frustrated as a driver being here. Don't have to deal with all the traffic uh, coming from Dryden, that's for sure. But uh, I will say one thing about the zipper merge before my pet peeve, and that's just like before, no pro when I had my Ontario plates, no problem. Let her in, let her in. She's not from here. She doesn't know what she's doing. Let her in. So nice, so nice. And now it's like, okay, you got Manitoba, but you're one of us ah. now. You're one of us now. <laughs> and get the us. side eye now, that's for sure. So the, uh, you get the full treatment like when you oh, signal yeah. to change lanes, people, mm -hmm. instead of letting you in, they speed up yeah, to, sure. to ensure your inability to change change yes. lanes. And you just said fashion. my pet peeve right there, no signaling. Whenever oh. people don't signal. Just if, if it's not obvious where you're going, just let me know. Yeah, if you want to cut planning? me off, if you're going to cut me off, at least use your signal <laughs> yes. first. McNabb, uh, zipper merge, what else? Well, I, I, I'm just going to follow up on the zipper merge because Adam just texted something I was thinking. I know we have signs up where they're encouraging you to do the zipper merge, but if if they're effective in so many places, why do we need the signs to tell us to do it? Like, why, when are we going to get to the point where we just naturally do it instead of being instructed like we're in, you know, grade four or something? So I think there still should just be a thing where we do it all the time. What I'm struggling with right now in Winnipeg, and I think that you we've talked about this before about the level of frustration that's just out there overall is how quickly people are to anger when you don't instantly do the right thing in their mind on the road. And just yesterday I was telling Greg, I was coming down main street where I'm pretty sure it's a 50, not a 60. Um, I was on North main and I was going, I think 45, like, you know, I was not slow, not super slow. And I, this woman was honking, honking, honking behind me and then whipped around on the side with her window down, screaming as red in the face as possible. What are you doing? Move along. Like as if I was just destroying her day and then proceeded to take off at 50 
And then we were basically side by side for the next like, five minutes. She was happens, so doesn't it? mad, like so mad. And so the anger that's out there that's frustrating, but also the I'm going to speed, get around you, and we're going to end up at the exact same spot. Like mm-hmm. cut it out. You're not getting any further ahead, and your anger is going to cause some sort of accident at some point. It really is. Poitras, you have no uh, anger issues in traffic, do you? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> particularly when people are going very slow in the passing lane. <laughs> That drives me crazy, uh, especially if somebody is go- like, listen, there's a lot of reasons to be lucky that you live in Canada. Uh, but if you were living in the United States and you were doing that, you would be driven off the road. They, uh, it is, it is, they are adamant about that. You do not go slow in the passing lane. That lane is for passing. If you are not in that lane, you are off to the right-hand side mm-hmm. to drive. And people do that here. Like I've seen people, they're just moseying along five kilometers, 10 kilometers on the speed limit in the passing lane. That is so dangerous. It really is. That drives me crazy. Cam Poitras to uh, Jeff Forche, please. Mine is just the regular merge, especially on Chief Paguas. Mm. You have so much room to step on that gas, get to speed, and get into the lane. Why do people stop and use as a as a yield? It just, that <sighs> that baffles me. Baffles me. It gets me super, super angry. Your pet peeves in Manitoba, Winnipeg traffic, 204-780-6868. You got to have a story if you want to crack at these tickets to either see Little Mermaid at Rainbow Stage or Crash Test Dummies in the lead up to Christmas. This Thursday morning, we are heading west, way west, out the Trans-Canada Highway to the oil capital of Manitoba. Where are we going, Loren? We are going to the community once upon a time known as Gopher Creek. We welcome to the start President of Verdon Indoor Rodeo and Wild West Days of the event, Thomas Hagen. Good morning, Thomas. Morning, how are you? I'm great, thank you. And I know you got a busy couple days ahead of you, but before we talk about the event, just in case people don't know where Ver- Verdon is, if I'm leaving Winnipeg, I just go straight west for a couple hours, right? Yeah, two and a half hours probably, just just shy of three hours actually. Yeah, I was going to say maybe you're going a little faster than I am whenever I've gone wow. to Verdun. You, you got you to Verdun in two hours? on number one highway, so you can get there pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'll follow you to Verdun any time, Loren, if you're getting there in two hours. Yeah, no, I think I think he's, he's right. It's three. But uh, Thomas, and, and how many people live there now? Because you've seen a real boom in the last few years. Oh, man, I, I would say probably 3,500, something like that, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's something to see when you drive through there. Uh, Loren and I both. Uh, Loren grew up, you know, most almost all of her uh, uh, preteen years, all of her preteen and teen years in uh, Western Manitoba. I played hockey in Verdon lots of times over the years, Thomas. But the landscape of that community, especially on the highway, if all you've ever done is pass through, you would notice the dramatic changes over the last several years, over the, the last decade, including a Boston pizza, which is, of course, fitting based on Jim, Jim Treliving's connection to Verdon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Verdon's changed a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, when you come to the rodeo, the first thing you notice is the brand new rink. Like, uh, we got a pretty cool facility, and we're very lucky to have it. But yeah, yeah, town looks great. Changed a lot, so thanks. Okay, have, so- you, have you lived there your entire life, Thomas? Tell us about yeah. uh, living there. Oh yeah, I grew up here. Um, I mean, my <laughs> my grandparents are from England, and and my my grandfather moved here as a doctor, and uh, we've been here ever since. 
And, uh, I mean, I grew up here. I grew up rodeo my whole life. I never really played hockey or anything like that. Uh, Verdon's a big rodeo community. Um, like, we, we, we have a really strong high school rodeo presence. We'd have probably 50, 60 kids on our team. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's maybe a bit about Verdon for you. So when you say you grew up rodeoing, uh, what does that mean? What kind of events were you in? What did you do or what do you still do, perhaps, Thomas? Well, now I team rope and I steer wrestle, um, and that's kind of what we always did. Uh, but, like, so how high school rodeo works now to fill you in is, like, at, at in grade five they start high school rodeo, and so they do that for the next eight years, and then you move from there into college rodeo, which I did. I went down to Dickinson State, and then from there you can go wherever you want. You can go semi-professional, like which Verdon Rodeo is, or you can go professional. I never did. Um, so it's kind of – rodeo is a great sport because you can do it from the time you're really young to the time you – I mean, people team rope until they're – I mean, my dad's roping in this, and he's 68 years old, so. How fantastic is that? Uh, VerdonIndoorRodeo.ca is the website. So just talk about the schedule and, and talk about this event. It gets underway today, correct? Yeah, it does. The high school rodeo, I'm standing outside here, and everybody's getting their horses warmed up. So the high school rodeo starts today at, at 9 a.m. Um, yeah, the, the schedule's jam-packed. We got barbecues going on. We got... The downtown days event starts tonight. And that's kind of a family fun event, five till ten o'clock. There's bouncy castles, there's food trucks, there's concerts, um, all sorts of things. The the big rodeo starts Friday. Uh, that's on at seven thirty. It goes Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. There's a parade to uh, Saturday. Um, we yeah another high school rodeo on Friday. I mean it's it's pretty jam packed. If you get here. From Thursday till Sunday, you always got something to do. What's your favorite event? Like, to do, but also even just to watch, Thomas? Oh, like to compete in? Yeah. Oh, probably, I mean, right now, team roping, because of the age I'm at. (laughs) It's a little easier (laughs) on my body. I mean, I love watching a lot of the sports. Right now, I love watching the women's breakaway roping, because it's pretty exciting. It happens really quick. And I'm just, it, it's an event that's come up in rodeo in the last three years. I'm just really happy that they, they brought it in. Um, so I love watching that. Like, they're about two seconds. Like, if, if you're not two, two and a half seconds, you're not winning any money. So it's really exciting. What, um, do, what does it involve? Like, is that where the steer or calf go, just lets go and you have yeah, to rope so, it as quickly as possible? Or Yeah, exactly. So you're in the start gate. We call it a box, right? And then the calf is in the chute. And the girl backs in there. and She's got to nod her head, which does the calf's let out. She's got to give him a specific head start, like whether that's five or ten feet or something like that. And then she goes out and ropes it, and her rope just breaks away. Like it just, um, as soon as it comes tight, it just breaks off. And as soon as that happens, they just drop the flag and you get a time, right? So it's just essentially who can rope it the quickest. Um, but yeah, it happens really quick, and the girls can really, really rope. And they, and it's an event that they just absolutely love. So because um, girls breakaway roping is a big thing, right? They high school rodeo, they do it for eight years there. They do it in college rodeo, and then in past years, there was nowhere else for them to compete. And now, you know, they can compete and win, you know, $150,000, $200,000 and become a world champ if they want. So it's kind of an exciting event to follow. And, and uh, yeah. 
Thomas Hagen, he's the president of the Verdon Indoor Rodeo and Wild West Days underway this morning in Verdon, Manitoba. Goes all the way until Sunday. VerdonIndoorRodeo.ca if you want more information and and maybe ponder, contemplate, and jump in your car and head west to Verdon for the weekend. Thomas, thanks for this. We appreciate your enthusiasm and and painting, as our colleague Richard Cluche might say, a radio picture of what happens at the Indoor Rodeo. Appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. 746. Uh, Loren, have you ever done any calf roping or, or, or tried any of those, any of those events uh, no. in and around a rodeo once upon a time? No, I, I, they used to do one in Minnesota, but no, I never participated in them. But um, like, like the skill level that's involved, I mean, that stuff is hard. If I had a steer on the loose, I wouldn't be catching it by a rope. I'll tell you that much. I'd need to bring someone in for help. <laughs> Stevie Nicks of Fleetwood Mac voted, chosen, declared the number two lead singer of all time, according to Billboard magazine, landing right in between Freddie Mercury at number three and at number one, Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones. Topic of discussion around water coolers on social media today and uh, maybe a tiny bit on our radio station, 204-780-6868. Keep those text messages coming on your pet peeves in traffic as well. I think that's more Lindsay Buckingham than anybody in that uh, in that piece of Don't Stop Believing, but uh, Fleetwood Mac, obviously one of the great rock and roll bands of all time. We don't want to spend too much time on anything else in this next segment because it's a topic that Loren and I have been conversing about for the last several days, even on the weekend. We're going back and forth about a very impactful series, five-part series on Netflix. It was born out of the show that we both watched. It's called Painkiller, and it follows the rise and fall of the painkiller OxyContin and its makers, Purdue. If we place ourselves right there between pain and pleasure, we will never have to worry about money again. Pain is no longer something we have to tolerate. We have an answer. How can something legally prescribed be killing so many people? Tell me what words you associate with OxyContin. Oxy what? really an incredible series and you know much of it is fictionalized as we sort of discussed but it, a lot of it is based in real fact I mean the, the people in it are Hollywood actors but there's some truth to a lot of it and it really was painful to watch to, to see the hold that Oxy had over so many people throughout this continent and while OxyContin is no longer marketed in Canada as I understand we know opioid related addictions are huge. They're a big issue. Uh, looking here in Manitoba, the most recent numbers for people seeking help at our RAM clinic, so those are the rapid access to addictions medicine, the numbers show 38% are seeking help for alcohol, but just behind that, 35% have an opioid problem, and then there's 24% with other drugs like meth or cocaine. So we wanted to find out more on, on what's going on out there. Dr. Aaron Knight is an addiction medicine specialist and the medical lead for Manitoba's RAM clinics. Good morning, Dr. Knight. Good morning. Thanks for having me. 
Thanks for taking the time because, as Greg said, you know, when we watched this, we, we, we emerged with so many different questions. And, and I think there are assumptions out there when it comes to drugs and particularly with opioids that people are just finding them on the street and then becoming addicted. And I'm wondering how often do Manitobans walk into your clinics saying they're struggling with a drug that was prescribed to them? You know, it's really uh it's a common thing, um, even for people who are now using illicit opioids that they purchase um, um, on the streets, as you say, um, are often started in their exposure to opioids through prescriptions. Um, and so we, we've seen over time, as we've learned more and more about opioids and, and particularly opioids for chronic pain, um, that they're not uh, as effective as we initially thought and so are moving more and more away from using opioids for chronic pain management because of uh, the long-term negative effects of them including the development of opioid use disorder Um, but um, it it, it is a common story where people will develop problematic opioid use initially from prescribed uh, opioid medications. Yeah and the painkiller documentary or the painkiller series Dr. Knight that's one of the things that it outlines with one of the characters in in particular, Oxy was supposed to be used at least initially for this individual once every 12 hours. And then, you know, this individual started using them more often, more often. And it wasn't just about now fighting pain from a surgery, from an injury that he had. Now it became an addiction to the high. And that was, was sort of the way this individual lived their life. And it forced him to buy drugs on the street. So that's not fiction. That that happens in real life. Yeah, absolutely. It's not an uncommon story. So what so, did we learn about OxyContin coming out of that crisis with doctors perhaps overprescribing or patients hitting up three, four, five different doctors trying to access more painkillers? Did the rules change around that with regard to to prescription doctor shopping, so to speak? Um, Yes, to a certain extent. Um, Like I mentioned, we've uh, we've learned more about um, the role of opioids in management of of chronic pain. And there certainly is a role. um, But there was a time in medicine where uh, it was taught that we should just continue to increase and increase the dose of opioids if people were not getting sufficient pain relief. And that's not the way um, that we understand uh, chronic pain management anymore. Um, and so um, there's been a shift towards um, kind of more diligent prescribing of opioid medications um, that hopefully in the long term will um, decrease the impact of opioids in Canada and in North America. Um, but we're really at that um, that point of the shift in the last um, in the last five to ten years, and so we haven't seen the long term effects from that um, at this point. So hopefully we'll see less and less people struggling with this in the future. But um, um, it, it did lead to a change in the way that we teach um, management of chronic pain and in the um, the recommendations around prescribing opioid medications. So what are some of the alternatives then, Dr. Knight? Because, you know, I, and I think I've even noticed this. I, was, I, I hurt my finger a few years ago and I was in a lot of pain. 
And I remember saying, "Is can I get anything for this? And the doctor said, yeah, you can take some Advil. And I thought, oh. <laughs> but it was fair. I think the idea was, you know, that I didn't need it. I could figure something else out on my own. And it was only going to be a couple days. But for those who are dealing with that long term, like weeks, months, or maybe lifetime of pain because of arthritis or other, what are the alternatives that you're now turning to if it's not the opioids? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's still something that I think is evolving. Um, you, you mentioned one of them. So some of the non-opioid analgesics like um, like the um, NSAIDs, so uh, um, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, um, those are things like ibuprofen and naproxen, um, anticlofenac. Um, um, we also use things uh, like simple uh, acetaminophen, um, which is Tylenol. Um, and then looking at, um, depending on what the generator of the pain is, um, uh, things like bracing, um, things like heat and, and cooling. And also for people who really live with chronic pain, um, coping strategies for um, focusing on their function. So talking less actually about the pain itself. Uh, um, and more about what are the um, what are the things that are important to them in life, and how can we support them in being able to do those things? So, Doctor Knight, uh, uh, something else that comes out of addiction, something else that comes with pain management and injury and dealing with all sorts of different pain, is not only the impact that it has on the individual suffering with that pain. Someone who's dealing with an addiction, it's the people around those individuals. Talk about the impact addiction has on relationships and then by extension, are the social fabric of our community. Yeah, so um, one of the things that, that I often like to talk about is, is the fact that we don't really care. Me as an addiction doctor, I don't care if people use drugs. I care if people use drugs and they are impacting them in a negative way and they're impacting um, their, their quality of life. And so the actual definition of a substance use disorder, um, whether we're talking about opioids or stimulants or alcohol um, or any other drug, is um, based on those impacts on life. Um, and so uh, uh, when we, we actually look at the, the diagnostic criteria for those, um, it's broken down into um, kind of a few that are, are related to loss of control of use of that substance, um, a few criteria that are, are specifically related to the impacts on people's social um, capacity, so either on relationships or on um, their, um, their responsibilities, so things like work or school or parenting, um, and the impacts on the important activities in their lives. Um, and so that impact on people around them and on their um, their relationship within the community is actually a core aspect of the disease. So you referenced earlier, Dr. Knight, the idea that, you know, you're moving away from pre- prescribing painkillers for chronic pain and, you know, more diligent prescribing rather, but it'll take time before we see the impact on sort of the overall addictions numbers, but is there hope that because practices are being changed, we won't see it at the very least as many people say turning to fentanyl or other on the street because they didn't have that addiction starts, you know, in the, in the home, so to speak. 
Yeah, so I think that's the hope um, that that we'll we'll start to see that based on the um, on the more diligent prescribing of medications is that we won't have as many people who um, develop opioid use disorders related to prescribed opioid medications. Um, that'll take time for us to to really um, to really see that. We appreciate this. Dr. Aaron Knight is an addiction medicine specialist and the medical lead for Manitoba's RAM clinics. Dr. Knight, we appreciate you. Thank you very much.